Hey guys, my name is Crystal Kenny, and I'm in love with creating. All things artistic and imagination involved. I'm an American girl who chased her creative dreams all the way to Paris, France, making a living using photography. This podcast takes you inside the stories of all the artsy folks I've met along the way and gives you that extra push to discover your creative gifts. The desire to create is deeply inside each and every one of us, and I give you the tools and inspiration to find a new way of living a more creative life. This is La Vie Creative, the podcast. Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History Advocate Hemingway. We are back with Claudine Hemingway to learn more about fascinating women and French history. And the woman we are speaking about today, I knew nothing about her. And I am very excited to learn more about her because I was doing a little research to prep for the show. And she is definitely fascinating. And I'm curious if you've heard of her as well. Her name is Camille Claudel. And she was a famous sculptor. She had a terrible brother that I'm very angry with. <laughs> she was hanging around Renoir doing some stuff up with him. Uh, so Claudine can dive right in and we'll learn a little bit more about Camille. Yes. Uh, Camille, Claud- Camille Claudel um, is a pretty fascinating person. And she was one of the first people I'd put on the list. And we talked about even doing this because I, you know, some of these people, I just not as many people know about. And that's where I really love to tell people all about them. Um, yeah. Way more interesting. Yeah. So Camille Claudel was born in 1864 and her father was a banker and they had a child before that had died right at birth. So then they had Camille who was basically then, you know, their oldest child. So they had three children all together. They had Camille, Louis, Louise, and Paul. And from a very early age, like when she was about 10 years old, she started playing with clay and started sculpting. And she got really pretty good about it. She got really good at it at a very young age. And her father really supported her and ended up finding this artist, Alfred Boucher, who had also discovered her work and thought, you know, oh, she's she's really great. I'd love to, you know, to help her out and work with her. So Camille, at 12 years old, convinces her parents that they need to move to Paris so she could work with, you know, these different sculptors. At 12 years old. Yeah, at 12 years old. And her father, being really supportive of her, was like, yep, let's go. So at first, you know, they went and it was just her mother and her brother and um, sister and the father stayed back um, finishing up some work and they moved into a apartment in Montparnasse and she started working with uh, Boucher, who was teaching her, you know, the fundamentals of sculpting and stuff. She ended up um, a few years later when she was um, 18, they ended up renting a studio, an apartment on um, Rue Notre Dame de Champ. And it was address is 117. And in 1882, they got this studio. Well, when I was reading this, I was like, wait a minute. At right next door, her next door neighbor, if she had still been there years later, would have been Hemingway and Hadley when they returned to Paris. <laughs> oh, that's wild. Yeah. So um, she ended up having this studio and Boucher was teaching them. And Boucher ended up winning a prize at the Salon, which sent him off to Rome. And so he asked his old friend, um, Rodin, if he would come and, you know, take over and help, you know, these these young gals. It was it was Camille and then a couple other girls that came over from England 
And they were all really, really talented. So Rodan said, okay, you know, sure, I'll come over there. So he started working with them. And by the time she was 19, the two of them were in the midst of their big affair. Ooh. Yeah. So juicy. Juicy. And Rodan was married. No, he wasn't married. He had been with this. He'd been with the same woman, um, Rose Rodan, like forever. But he, um, she, Camille was a, you know, basically his started out very early. It was his, his student and then his apprentice and then his muse and then their, his lover. And so she were, she was working with him. He, you know, she was just amazing. He said that he goes, I showed her where to find the gold, but the gold she finds is here. So it's like, that's a lot coming from Rodin. Like she, you know, she was really, really gifted and very talented. So she would um, assist him in doing all these sculptures. The very famous, the Bouger de Calais, the, the group of men that if you go to the Musée Rodin, they're right outside, right when you enter the museum, the gate to get in outside of the Mm -hmm. house, it's that huge, um, it's a pretty life-size picture, uh, uh, sculpture of these men. She's the mm-hmm. one who, if you look next time you go, look at the hands and stuff. And she's the one who has sculpted all of that. She would work with him on like his famous, the kiss um, with, uh, and then other, all the different gates of hell sculptures. So they worked really, really closely together and their affair would last for 10 years, 10 years, 10 years. Um, and she really wanted to marry him, but he always just said no. And he, you know, it was when he was still, he was involved with Rose. Um, and, but she, she just said, you know, he was like, nope, we're not going to. But in 1892, she ended up getting pregnant by him and had a, a Abortion. That must have been really difficult in that time period. We were talking about that before the show. I can't imagine what abortions were like at that period. Oh, that sounds terrifying. I mean, just, yeah, it had to be just terrifying. Uh, but when that happened, that's basically kind of when they ended their, you know, physical affair. They still would work together for a few years more. But they, you know, their physical affair kind of ended. And he, you know, he loved her face. He loved to sculpt um anything that looked like her, like to use her as, you know, his sitting for him as a model. Um, He was really, really inspired by him, but you know, he wasn't going to marry her. So Mm -hmm. she, you know, they still, um, they still were working together. He, a lot of the time would take credit for some of the work that she would do signing. Uh, There's a theme here in our women. I know it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of pretty, it's pretty bad. It happens a lot. Um, but she was, she was always, she was like this ever, re, you know, ever, re, what is it? Ever ready bunny, the battle. Mm-hmm. Everlasting, everlasting bunny. Yeah. yeah. Everlasting. Whatever. Um, she, she um, could like, she was always inspired and she could just basically sculpting like day and night. She'd sleep a few hours at night if that, and then just would get right back to sculpting. She just had all these ideas. So um, in 1886, she moved to um, Boulevard Pont Royal, which is up in Montparnasse. And at that time, you know, they were still somewhat involved. She did a sculpture in the end of the 1880s um, called Laval, which is the waltz, which is this incredibly beautiful, beautiful sculpture of a man and a woman. He's kind of, you know, they're doing the waltz, but just the way that like their bodies are. And she was really into draping fabric. And um, it's just one of the most beautiful sculptures you'll ever see. And she she had given one to Claude Debussy, who the composer, who a lot of people think that they were having a relationship 
at the as well. But he kept the he kept the sculpture with him till the day he died. Um, and it's not wow. really known for sure if they actually had a had an affair, but there were rumors, there were like rumors. always. There was rumors. So about that same time, she you know split off with um, Rodan finally, and he in. 1898, she decided to do this giant sculpture, and it's called the Mature Age. You could see a version of it in uh, the bronze version of it at the Musée d'Orsay, and it's very, very large and has a young woman um, on her knees, kind of reaching her arm up, and she's reaching her arm up to a man and a woman, and they're definitely a lot older. The older woman kind of is pulling the older man away. He has his one arm stretched back behind him. And, you know, you see the younger woman reaching her hand up, trying to grab his hand. And it's this incredibly sad and moving sculpture, because when you look at it, you can't help but think it's Kimi and Rodan and Rose. And Rose is leaving. Mm-hmm, yeah, so um, at the time, you know, she never really said, she never really said, this is what it is. Um, she didn't say, you know, this is this autobiographical sculpture of my life. Um, <laughs> like it's pretty obvious. <laughs> pretty obvious. So that, you know, she had first done a plaster model of it. It had been actually commissioned before. So she created it. When Rodin found out and saw what it was, he was outraged. He had still supported her like, you know, supported her, what she was doing for art. He supported her financially. And when he saw that, when he saw that sculpture, he was livid and basically, oh. and whoever it was that commissioned the, the sculpture, somehow they brought, they took it back and they told coming, oh. we, we, you know, we're not going to pay for this. No, that must've been so much money and hard work. Yeah. I mean, and it's like, I mean, it's, it's really like, you have to see it. It's up in the, or say, and it's up on the upper, on the upper terrace. If you walk in um, with your back to the clock, it's on the right hand up on the top side. I'll post a picture of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's mm-hmm. really, really sad when you know the story of their the history. Yeah. Rodan totally screwed her over. Yeah, he really screwed her over. So she kind of started at that point. Um, she started getting, you know, she got some commissions to do some other stuff. She was finally happy that she was, you know, making some money that she could finally make a clean break and get away from him. And in 1899, she moved into a apartment and a studio on the, on Ile Saint Louis. And the, it was a Hotel de Gesso and it was at 19 K de Bourbon and it's on Ile Saint Louis. It's kind of towards the end of it, um, closer to looking towards Notre Dame. And she moved into this apartment and in this apartment, she basically would just spend all of her hours sculpting, you know, plaster models of things. But as time started to go on, she started to get a little paranoid. She thought, um, you know, Rodan and his, like some of his people were out to get her. She thought that basically, you know, uh, his influence on her basically ruined her life Mm. and she wouldn't leave her apartment. She would stay in there. She'd do all the sculpting. Um, The neighbors started to complain 
the, they started complaining to her family saying, you know, she was too loud and, you know, she, there's noises coming out at all hours of the night. Oh God. She turned into kind of an animal, like crazy cat lady. Crazy cat lady. Uh, Except that Clay was her cat. Yeah. I mean, she was like quoted as saying things like, you know, she couldn't open the doors because the wolves, the wolf traps were out there to get her. And she started going through a little something. Um, yeah, definitely something. Yeah, and in 1910, she's living there, and the you know the famous 1910 flood in Paris ends up you know flooding part because she was down on the on the ground level, flooding her apartment, flooding a bunch of her like ruining a bunch of things. Um, but she's you know stayed there a couple of years. She had a lot of support from her father still, and then in 1913, her father is you know getting kind of sick. Her family is trying to, you know, is is tired of hearing about these, you know, these complaints and that she's, you know, go- going crazy or whatever it was they thought she was doing. Um, but her father was still really supporting her. And on March 2nd in 1913, her father died. And Mm-mm. literally within like a day, her family came, her brother Paul came and with the help of his mother, who was like 70 some odd years old at the time, she ended up signing a paper that basically said she, you know, could voluntarily commit her. Mm. So Paul took her to a doctor and they um, basically diagnosed her on March 7th. So just days, they didn't even tell her her father died. They didn't what? Tell her That's terrible. Death. They were so like crazy about getting her in the loony yeah. bin. You think they'd let her go to the funeral? At yeah, least. they didn't tell her he died. They didn't tell her about the funeral. They didn't tell her anything. No. That's so sad. So they basically within days had her committed. Um, she was diagnosed that she had, was paranoia, dementia, malnutrition, and alcoholism. And Mm -hmm. so they took her and she went into this asylum and that was up in um, Saint-Saint-Denis. And on March 10th, she was basically locked away. That's terrible. I mean, I'm sure she was just heartbroken and maybe eating the clay. I don't know. She could have just been breathing (laughs) in too many chemicals. Who knows? But I feel like they took it too far, locking her away. Oh yeah, it's like it's such a such a heartbreaking story, and it's it's just I hate to say, gotta get worse. So, (laughs) um, so oh man, Paul and her family told them that like they don't let her get letters, don't let her write letters, don't let people come see her. They were like. Don't let any anybody come near her. Her pet mother only saw her one time. Um, Paul, over the years, I think, saw her eight times in 30 years. And That's terrible. It, but in the same year that she was sent off, um, a French newspaper actually published an article that said she was being held against her will. Like, basically, the the truth of everything that was actually happening, saying she was being held against her But will. no one helped her. Where's Rodin during all this? Is he dead? No, he's still alive. He actually tried to intervene and help. And, you know, he said he'd pay anything to get her out. Like, this was, you know, ridiculous. And Paul and had such a huge hold over her. The doctors were even saying she does not belong here. She, you know, she is okay. She does not need to be here. And they didn't really care. And they just kept her locked away. So she had no rights because she was a woman and her brother got to decide yeah, yeah. her life. Yeah. And at this that time, is I mean, so sad. she's in, you know, her forties. So, you know, it's so young to be locked away yeah. for the rest of your mm-hmm. life. Yeah. Her sister, you know, her sis, she and her sister, her sister never really liked her. Her sister wanted, you know, um, her share of the inheritance from, you know, their father. Mm-hmm. So I think that basically like, 
you know, her father did support her. And I'm sure as soon as he died, they were probably like, okay, great. Cause he was, you know, the, her father was very wealthy. Yeah. Maybe he secretly left it all to her. So they had to lock yeah. her away. No, <laughs> <probably>. <laughs> so terrifying, but yeah, so she, you know, gets locked away. Um, in the last few years of Rodan's life, um, in the last like year and a half, he ended up where marrying Rose, who he had been with forever and ever, you know, and he'd always it took him that. long enough. Yeah. He told, uh, you know, and he had one mistress after another, you know, it wasn't, it, you know, he had come and then he, there was ones, there was girls before and there was definitely girls after. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, he, he did say he'd marry Rose at the end and he did. And, you know, he died, he died when, um, before Camille Claudel did. But yeah, I mean, his, when you go to the Musée Rodin, there's a whole, there's a room <laughs> dedicated to her. Um, I think wow. there should be a floor dedicated to her, but there is yeah. a room. Um, and it has a lot of those, you know, it has a, it has one of the uh, sculptures of both the waltz and also um, the mature age, which is a s- smaller version that you see at Orsay. But it is nice that there is that because she was a huge influence on him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. At least they gave her some credit. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, she she lived, um, they kept her locked up for 30 years. Did they give her any clay? I, no, I don't <laughs> think so. She, you know, would she was finally able to write some letters. She had a friend of hers that would come visit her and the friend would say the same thing. Like, she's fine. She's okay. She doesn't need to be there. Why are you keeping her there? Yeah, I think she just went through a rough patch because she was heartbroken. She was drinking too much. You know, when we all drink too much and we're heartbroken, we might start yelling and talking about wolves too, you know? <laughs> That's a Saturday night for me after heartbreak. I mean, that's so terrible what they did to her. Yeah. And, you know, the world and when World War II started and they ended up moving her from, you know, one asylum to another one, um, you know, because they were trying to get him because they were pretty close to Paris. So they moved, you know, to another one. And once they moved her, nobody came, nobody came to see her. None of the family, Mm. none of the family ever came to see her. It's war times. Everyone's just trying to survive. Yes. She ended up dying, you know, 30 years later after she's gets put there over 30 years later on October 19th, 1943. And she died of a stroke um, due to malnutrition. And she was 78 years old. She lived a long time. So she was there, but she was there, well, 36 years because she went in there when she was 42. That's crazy. She lived a long time, a really long time. And when she died, um, you know, no, nobody in the family came, nobody came to, you know, do anything or tell them what to do with the, with the bodies. Her brother didn't, you know, he didn't even basically answer them. So they buried her in, you know, a little, like a little makeshift grave. And the only people that were there were the hospital staff. Um, nobody in the family came. And, you know, the irony of it is that when Paul died, you know, he had already mastered this huge, you know, tomb and dedication to him. Um, for where he's buried today. And he had this all set up. But when his sister, who was basically, you know, for a while, the cash cow of the family, basically, they were just didn't even care. And she had ended up eventually because nobody would claim her. She was taken out of the grave that she was in and just basically tossed into a mass grave of past patients. This is so sad. Yeah. I'm really mad at Paul, as I stated in the beginning of the show. Like, Paul was a massive jerk. He's a very big jerk. And he later, um, I was telling you before we started, um, in Notre Dame, there is when you walk in on the south side it, and when you're in the transept, you know, right where the basically the altar is, there is a black uh, tile that you look down. It's all this black and white tiles. And one of them in, in um, brass says, 
Paul Cladell, and this is, I think it's December 24th, whatever year it was. And he had gone in there and he was a very analytical guy and he just basically didn't, you know, he kind of believed in some sort of a higher power, but he thought religion and stuff. He didn't really believe in that. Well, he went in there one night and ended up um, hearing them sing a certain, the choir sing, sing a certain song. And when he heard that, it basically transformed him and, you know, he was converted to Christianity. Oh, give me a break, Paul. Paul's a big dork, dork. and I don't like him, (laughs) and he ruined everything. Yeah, I mean, it's really sad, but um, later on, her grandniece um, named Riam Marie ended up, um, you know, starting to uncover all these things about, you know, her, her great aunt. And, you know, started looking into this, and, you know, it was basically kind of in their family, like, it was, you know, you would think, now, if it's like, oh, my God, you'd be like, you know, I, you know, I'm related to Camille Claudel. Like, that would be a huge thing. Like, she was an amazing, amazing sculptor. I mean, you look at some of her stuff, it's more beautiful than Rodin's, I hate to say. So, you know, mm-hmm, his mm-hmm. stuff. They just hit her away, though. Yeah, I mean, his stuff, Rodin is, is an amazing sculptor. But so, her stuff just has this emotion and movement to it that's just so mm-hmm. beautiful that you, you know, I don't, I think only a woman could really do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was so much uh, emotion, as you said, and feeling and she studied with the great masters. Yeah, she definitely did. So she, um, her great niece um, ended up starting to like uncover and look into these things. And in 2008, where her original grave had been, she had a marker created and installed. And so now there is actually a marker um, at the asylum where she was basically buried um, marking where she is, but that's like the first time, not till 2008. 2008, this just happened. Five years later. Gosh, that's so wild. Yeah. I mean, it's not a surprise because they kind of buried her. She was like the family secret in some ways. Yeah, it's, it's pretty sad. Uh, but her niece did a lot of her niece did a lot of work trying to to save and re recreate her memory. She said that mm-hmm. um, she said that. It was taboo, which continued to surround the great aunt artist who was mad and buried in a mass grave. Mm, mad. And <laughs> she was mad. I still don't think she was crazy. I think she was just having a, a difficult time. Yeah. And then you get locked up. But that happened a lot back then. I remember reading for a long time, if anybody accused you of being crazy or whatever, yeah. and they were important or even just a man that you were locked away. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, <sighs> throw away the key. Yeah. Hysteria. The word hysteria comes like it's up. The, it's against women. Yeah. yeah. That, that word was used a lot as like a diagnosis, which actually is just like, Oh no, I got my period next week. <laughs> you're, you're hysterical. Yeah. But, you know, her niece, it was really great. She, you know, still, and her niece is still alive. She, Work to try to catalog all of her, um, all of her sculptures. When, when after she was locked away, her family went to her apartment and destroyed everything. So everything that, they destroyed her stuff. Yeah, they destroyed all of her stuff. They destroyed all of her plaster models. They destroyed any of the art she had in there. They like just got they completely destroyed it and got rid of it. They think that their her niece came up with a catalog that had about sixty eight known sculptures in there, but they think that there's probably more than a hundred, hundred about a hundred and ten sculptures that she did during between eighteen seventy nine and nineteen oh six that have survived. Um, and then she was busy. Yeah. Later her, um, grandniece ended up, um, 
because a, a lot of them, like when you see like Rodan's the kiss or Rodan's the thinker, there's those Rodan's thinker is like all over the place. They're even in the United, like there's one in San Francisco. There's one, you know, all there's over one there. in Baltimore. Yeah, <laughs> so they take, you know, these molds that, you know, they, you know, they make the original one and they make a mold and then they're able to copy those and, you know, they sell them and do whatever they want. But, you know, it's always really mm -hmm. important that it comes from the original, you know, artist mold. So she had some of the molds and they, she had some of them recreated and somebody um, ended up getting pretty upset about that and actually charged her with forgery. And what? she, and they took her, her great niece. She was actually on trial. It lasted 17 years, 17 years, 17 years that she was on trial trying to say that, you know, that she had, um, like forged these things and she was selling like, and they actually tried against her. Like she didn't go to jail or do anything like that, but they actually tried against her that she did. And when all she was trying to do was basically, you know, resurrect and save her great aunt's name. But who was mad at her? Like who was calling her to trial like the, that? Somebody who was the French government, the French government. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's very strange. Like she's family and she's just trying to preserve yeah. her her aunt's legacy, yeah. her great aunt. And they were just, but 17 years, which is just crazy. And I'm glad they didn't put her in jail. It sounds like this whole family just like craps on women. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but in, uh, with her help, with her grandniece's um, help in 2017, they opened up the Musée Camille Claudel in nogent saint Sun, which is outside of Paris, um, which we definitely need to go make a trip. I haven't seen that yet. So we definitely need to go check. Yeah, me either. But they, you know, with her help, she had, you know, she put this together that they now have a museum dedicated to her, which is finally. Classic. Well, it sounds like her niece was really involved and very much interested to share this legacy. And if she didn't do all that, who knows if we even know about Camille, really? Yeah. I mean, was the French government giving um, Camille a whole wing in Rodin's museum before all this? Or was that after? It was that was before that. I mean, I think I think I think he did that because he the the Hotel Biron, which is where the Musée Rodin is, he ended up getting that, um, renting that for a short period of time. And then towards the end of his life, he had it and he had given his works to a lot of the stuff he had done to the state, to the French government with the intention that the Hotel Biron had to be turned into a museum. So, mm -hmm. um, and that was his workshop and, you know, she, you know, she definitely would have been working at the same place. So I think it was, I think it was Rodin who actually had that made sure that that there was a room dedicated to her. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the French, you know, the French government, they're probably I'm sure that there's a lot more to the story of the trial. There's not a lot that I could find about it. But they're definitely I'm sure there's a lot more to it. But yeah, you know, I mean, I think, you know, you and I can't be like, Oh, I found this mold, I'm gonna make it into a rodent. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Eiffel Tower. Let's build another one I next door. Another one. I mean, it's like, it's like everything French, complicated and lots of paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> but, but maybe her. she didn't fill out the right form. And you know, she should have filled out that form. But she, you know, got for her for doing all of that, you know, to save the legacy. Because like you said, I mean, we, we could very well not really know much about her other than like, here's this, you know, sculpture in the Orsay, mm -hmm. or would that even be in the Orsay? Yeah, and that trial brought a lot of attention mm -hmm. to her as well. If she wasn't on trial, people probably would have cared less. Yeah, and like, you know, when it comes to the big sculptures, you know, the sculptors, they have, you know, teams of people that work with them. So 
you know, it could be, you know, it's this whole, you know, the kiss was Rodan and it was his initial design, but then he's got all these people and apprentices that are like helping him finish it. Yeah. He didn't do it alone. Yeah. It's not just, you know, it's not just one person's hands that created this, you know, there's a lot of people involved in it and you don't really know about those people unless you dig really, really deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that was one thing I really noticed when I moved to France. It's not as easy to find the news or that information. Like everything in America is just blurted out and put out for everyone to see and freedom of the press and blah, blah, blah. But in France, you got to dig a little deeper. Yeah, you definitely, you definitely have to do a lot of digging to find stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're a good digger, Claudine. <laughs> yeah. So you got to know, you have to know where to look and have some French. And then you could, then you could, it's always going to be in French. If you really want to keep digging, mm. you got to find it in French. Yeah, yeah. Definitely helps to have some French in your pocket. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that long and sad story about Camille. (laughs) (laughs) But I am fascinated by that history. And I'm I'm very curious of what could have happened if she was not locked away for the rest of her life by her evil brother, Paul. We hate you, Paul. Uh, But tune in next week for another fascinating woman in French history. And I can't wait to chat with you then, Claudine. Thank you. See you then. Thank you for listening to Paris History Avec A. Hemingway. If you want to find out some more, you could always find me on my Instagram page, Claudine Bleu Blanc Rouge, and that's B-L-E-U, as in the French way to spell it. And each day I post a daily history lesson about a person or a place or something in Paris, or it's lots of fun facts. And then also at ClaudineHemingway.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter there.